Ernest William Stanton, born 1931. My sister died two days before died two days before I was born. My grandfather was a foreman compositor with the Daily Herald. My grandmother came from Ireland. She was involved with nursing. Local children in London used to call her my nan because she loved children. Grandfather, a yeoman, got killed while serving in the 8th Army. He is buried in Turkey. I know that he was a great dancer and that he loved music. I think that this is where I got my love of music. I went to Lancastrian School in Tottenham until it got bombed. I was then moved to Highfield Road Junior School and then Foxton Secondary School, leaving at the age of 14. Fell out with my dad for a while because I passed my exam to go to grammar school but I couldn't go because Dad couldn't afford the uniform. A new path was opened up to me when I began to work as an engineer for Watsons of Watford Elmfield. I recall how I used to watch one of the welders doing his job. I became interested in welding, so I went to night school. I was there for two years. I joined the RAF at the age of 18. I was at Padgate, Lancashire, followed by West Kirby near Blackpool. I then went to Hereford where I learned to type. We had billets and I was in the next bed to Alan Ganley, who was, bit, who was Britain's number one drum, drummer. In the same billet there was a fellow in the opposite bed to me who I became friends with. He asked me what I was doing during the Battle of Britain weekend. They were going to be walking around St Paul's Cathedral. He asked me if I wanted to go with his girlfriend and her friend. He showed me a picture of this girl. This was to be my wife-to-be. We met at the following weekend. We picked up the girls from Waterloo Station. The courtship was backwards and forward on the train as my girlfriend lived in Isha, Surrey. I married Doreen Ellen on May the 21st the following year. She was one of eight children and was a shop assistant. I worked at AC Cars at Thames, Thames Ditton at this time. During one of the tea breaks there was a chap who started to play his accordion. We turned a tea chest into a double bass. We then started a... As a trio singing, we loved doing this. Our daughter was born in London, weighing only three pounds. She is now a nurse. I have a granddaughter who is a nurse in Australia. We both think the world of her. She is musical. I played in a jazz band in London. I had a drum kit and this caused havoc at home. I started to sell welding equipment, but I was unhappy at work. My sister had just moved to Thrapston. She told me that there was a bungalow for sale. We spent three years doing it up before moving in. My wife loved the high street and we had lovely neighbours. There was one thing that caused some disagreement in our household. The whole of the Stanton family hated me because I didn't follow the same team as them. We have been living in wards for some years now. The next contributor is Jeff Stanfield, born 1933. I was born at 2 Light Cliff Road, Palmer's Green, London. My sister Monica would have been three. One amusing story that Dad told me was the occasion one Christmas when Grandad came home after a drink or two with just the head and neck of the turkey in his hand. Apparently someone had cut off the body. I'd cut the body off on the tram without his knowledge. This caused much friction in the house and the family had to manage with some sausage meat and a small amount of bacon and vegetables. Mum was 21 in 1928 and on September the 15th 
They are married at St Monica's Catholic Church in Palmer's Green. Palmer's Green in those days was a sleepy suburb. Public transport consisted of trams and buses with the rear exposed to the elements. Steam trains were always a delight to travel on. The radio, or wireless as it was referred to, played a big part in people's lives. Children's Hour was on the home service then and began each day at 5pm. Monday to Friday consisted of nature programmes, walks with Romany, Toy Town with Norman Shelley, Derek McCulloch, Uncle Mac and a series such as Box of Delights. Tea would consist of bread and butter with honey, honey, jam or syrup, marmite, bovril and cake. Sometimes mum and dad read us a story, e.g. Jack the Giant Killer, the enchanted story and the good little garden gnome. In 1942, two of mum's brothers were killed. Uncle Ken, who was in the military force, was guiding a minefield near Romney in Kent and accidentally trod on a mine. Soon after, the family were to see, receive a telegraph that the other brother had crashed in the Middle East desert. He was in the rear of the aircraft. In the spring of 1944, mum, Monica and I went to stay with Aunt Ethel, Ken's Ollie's widow, and cousins Penn and Ken and Pat at their large Victorian house at Kensington, east of Ashford, Kent, called The Craft. Ken and I spoke most of our time in the nearby Kentish Tower, fishing, paddling, bird nesting and watching the massive, massive build-up of the forthcoming invasion, D-Day. The convoys of tanks, army lorries and guns used to slow down at the junction where our house stood so we got a good look at everything. We took good great interest in all the various uniforms and badges. Most of the tank crews, tank crews had a yellow royal armoured crawl stripe at the top of the arm. Little did we realise that a week after D-Day on June 13th, the dreaded V-1 or Doodlebug was to make an appearance. We returned to London at the end of May and June the 6th, 1944, brought the long-awaited D-Day. All night on Monday the 5th, there was a roar of aircraft with their distinctive three stripes on their wings and fuselage, some towing gliders, Sterling and Dakota DC-3, singles or in pairs. They seemed to be going over forever. We all went to school the next day, Wednesday, looking skywards, a little weary after having a busy night. About a day or two later, there was a knock at the door. Mum answered it. There was Dad in full-service marching order. In other words, full kit bag, small pack, Respiratory, respirator, ammunition pouches, tin hat, rifle, bayonet and water bottle. I could hardly see him. My first words were, can I look at the real rifle please? So he showed me how, how to work and maintain it. He was on embarkation leave en route to Portsmouth and Normandy in a tank landing craft. It was so hot that eggs were being fried on the metal deck. Dad was only home for 36 hours. He took me outside the back door and told me that if he did not return, I was to look after the family and, if necessary, join up as soon as I was old enough to carry out the job. A week after D-Day, on June fifteenth, June 13th, Hitler's secret weapon, the V-1 flying bomb, or doodlebug, started to drop. First they fell in Kent and Dartford, then when they found the range in London, then when they found the range in London, some were brought down by barrage balloons, fighters or anti-aircraft guns, but most got through and caused much death and damage. You were able to see them as they flew at about 
about 400 miles per hour, similar to a fighter, until either the fuel ran out or the guidance system cut the engine. When that happened, there would be a set about 10 seconds before it crashed, very often making a right-hand dive, accompanied by a rushing noise. The V-2 rockets began to arrive in September 1944. They had a vertical launch site in France. In contrast to the V-1, the 45-degree launch, it was about three times as fast, so you could not see it or hear it coming. There was just one sudden explosion, one ton of explosive. There was no defence against them, and we were on constant alert, 24-7, as they say now. Around November, when Mum couldn't stand it any longer, we left and the taxi took us to either Marylebone or St Pancras. But by the time we had arrived, the train had departed. We made to King's Cross, but had to change at Grantham for Nottingham. Again, everywhere was packed with troops from all the services and all the countries in the Commonwealth. <coughs> the soldiers in our carriage made room for us, and we were very, and were very cheerful. By the time we had arrived at Grantham, our compartment was filled with smoke. <coughs> As the war in Europe came to an end, I can remember the photographs outside the cinema showing the liberation of various camps. The war in Europe ended on May the 8th and there was much singing, dancing and merriment of all kinds. There were bonfires all over the place and a general feeling of relief, although the war in Far East was to last for another three months. Then we could really celebrate. We will return to London soon after VE Day and found the garden like a wilderness, but the sycamore trees were bigger and better for climbing. I attended Finchley Catholic Grammar School in Woodside Lane. By this time, my main hobbies were dinky toys, train spotting, ice skating and roller skating, bird nesting, bird watching and egg collecting. The war in the Far East finished in August and I can remember the general feeling of euphoria. The two atomic bombs were necessary, I felt. We went up to Piccadilly Circus on BJ Day to join the celebration and stood on the junction of Shaftesbury Avenue and Piccadilly Circus. The place was heaving with lots of Union Jacks, dancing, singing and hugging. We had hoped that Dad would be home by Christmas 1945, but unfortunately he was not demobbed until January 1946. It was only then that some sort of normality returned to our family. John Goodyear, uh, born 1933. My parents were an important factor in my life. Dad was born in 1908 and Mum was born in 1904. Dad was born in Ealing and Mum was born in Pembroke, Wales. Dad was a plasterer and Mum a nurse. Mum was a sister at Charing Cross Hospital but during the war she was a sister at a local hospital. In her later years she worked as a sister at, as a sister at Chelsea Pensioners. I know that Mum loved it there. She was always coming home and sharing little stories about her days there. I have two sisters, both younger than me. I also have an adopted daughter. We had her from being six weeks old. Her name is Jennifer. I recall how the Anderson shelter was built at the bottom of our garden. Basically, a big hole was dug in and then an arched roof was put on it. On it. Of course, it was very damp in there. We would use a ladder to get, to get in. London was continually bombed for 60 days by either incendiary bombs or doodle bugs launched from France by the Germans. A crude compass was, was inserted, in, inserted into these bombs, which roughly targeted where the bombs would land. 
their targets would have been even the many docks in London, their main aim being to stop food which we desperately need coming into this country. Their other target would have been the railways, anything to cause chaos and loss of life. I remember how I would watch the doobugs flying over London. You could see the bombs diving and then there would be silence before the bombs dropped onto their targets. My infant's course was one of the targets that was bombed. Whilst I was still living in London, I had to have my tonsils removed. I was terrified at the thought of this operation and did all I could to avoid going into hospital, including rolling in the snow. This attempt at, my, at making myself, myself ill didn't work. When I eventually got to hospital, I had to pass by an operating theatre where the door had been left open and I saw a doctor trying to put a tube down someone's throat. That was enough to scare me off forever. However, the operation went ahead. Strangely enough, I didn't want to go home following my recuperation. The reason for this was the fact that I got served lovely ice cream in hospital. I was a bit of a terror away when I was a lad. My poor mum would have to drag me off to school whilst I screamed and howled all of, all of the way. I thought of a way of avoiding going to school when I discovered a different exit out of school. And so, of course, I would go home. I remained at home with my mum until I was age 11 when I was evacuated to a village. My sister stayed with a nice couple in a thatched cottage, so she was happy as she could be. Meanwhile, I was placed with a couple who was involved with a D-Day landing, which meant, of course, that they had little time for me. I left school at the age of 15 and began to train as a surveyor. This was a job that I enjoyed. However, I was called up to do my national service in 1953 and was there for two years. I spent weeks learning how to kill a man with my bayonet. We would have to be up and out of our beds early in the morning. Our beds were then inspected. If our bed making skills were not up to scratch then all our bedding would be thrown out the window. In the winter we would be wearing only our shorts and t-shirts with backpacks running up Mount Snowdon. I'd taken exams prior to joining up. These exams ascertain where we would be going and on what we would be doing. I was given two strikes and then supervised men on a train. Soon after this I lost my stripes, so I was very striped, so I was very disillusioned. It was a tough time for men who seemed to be weak in any way. Bullying was a term that we that wasn't recognised then. I remember that there was this bloke who was discharged after weaning on top of his bunk bed. Of course this dripped on the man in the bed below him. I was awarded the canal, the canal zone for 1952-54, which was the period that I served. I then volunteered for five years in the Territorial Army. Most of the male members of my family served in the forces. Before World War I, my grandfather was out in Africa. He was in the Boer War. I have his medals for 1897-98. He was in the Middlesex Regiment and served as a regular soldier. Grandfather was in Europe and South Africa during World War I. Lots of men were ill-equipped to fight in this war. All they had were basic things, although sometimes they were also ill-equipped with regards clothing. All they had were lorries and ambulances. Many London buses had been painted kayaking and were used to ferry the men from London to the East Coast mainly. I worked as a quantity surveyor until I retired in the mid-70s, moving to Northampton just soon after retirement. I've always had an interest in animals. My father owned um, 
Irish Bulldog Terriers. I used to exercise them on the North Downs. I had a pedigree sheepdog called Tara. I still mourn for her. She was the apple of my eye. I used to be a volunteer for Wellingborough Guide Dogs Association. Also thoroughly enjoyed my time working as a volunteer for Wellingborough Welfare Rights Group. I was their chairman several times. All the volunteers were shocked and saddened when uh, RAG was forced to close due to losing out all our funding. Audrey was asked to speak at County Hall as she was our chairwoman then. We had served Wellingborough for over 20 years. I have been a volunteer for 16 years, Audrey, a little long, longer. Comments from Audrey. Me. I was terrified at the thought of putting myself in the spotlight. The strong urge was to flee, especially when I saw the number of people in the main hall. There are many other groups there who were fighting to preserve their organisations. I think I was definitely, I was definitely, I was definitely thinking, I, I, I think that I was definitely aware that of not wanting to let people down, which actually kept me on my seat. At last it was my turn. I stepped up onto the podium, podium and grasped the microphone. I took in a deep breath, my notes shaking in my hands, then began to speak. Those designated three minutes of speaking felt like eternity. Public speaking is sadly definitely not for me. But despite the protests and support from the community, due to a withdrawal of funding from local council and Northamptonshire County Council, we had no choice but to close. The RAG had served the community for over 20 years.